You're listening to Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Our aim, as always, is to help the people of God understand, love, and enjoy the Word of God. For more information, visit us at theologyuntucked.com. You're listening to another episode of Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Tonight's episode is titled, The Bible Genre Series, The Epistles. And now, here are your hosts and theologians, Servus, Tim and Caleb. Servus, theologian Servus. Yeah, I think we were uh, I think we were better off when we were doing it with a southern accent. <laughs> I'm not sure what in the world this is. Well, I've been taking What's... Russian and maybe that's messed me up a little bit. Um, Good. But it service. Would. Service. My favorite Russian letter service. is always that that uh, K that uh, is goes both ways. It's like a, a two-sided K. It's always confusing. Anyway, good evening. In the middle of a holy week here, where then when we're recording this, not sure when it exactly gets released, but my one of my favorite weeks of the year, and uh, always look forward to. Um, I always kind of make fun of Palm Sunday when it comes along, but after that, I really, I really do uh, enjoy Holy Week, um, and looking forward to uh, the weirdly named Monday Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter. How about you? You got any special plans for Easter this year? No, um, you know, do, do you do you observe like Lent? You know, you know I've got a lot of uh, Catholic uh, brothers and sister friends that are Catholic. Like, like dryer Lent? No, I'm talking about like the Lent, meaning like the Lent leading up to Easter. No. So I I, I haven't observed it, but uh, I don't know if you saw that article. It actually ha- had an opportunity to write an article, and it was kind of neat. Um, mm-hmm. It was uh, uh uh, traces of faith it's kind of a it's a blog and what she did is she had uh, 42 different people from all different walks of the evangelical um that actually even uh from from the catholic and and then also i want to say even a rabbi that were kind of writing on leviticus um and of course i picked like the i guess what would probably be maybe the hardest chapter was the last chapter that nobody was going to write on, which was Leviticus 26. And so the 42nd, it's actually one of the coolest chapters in Leviticus. I mean, the, uh, it really is. Isn't that, that's, that's where he actually makes the reference. Um, you know, do these things or I'll turn my face against you. And if you don't do them, I'll turn my face against you with fury. I mean, it it was, that is is a powerful chapter. Isn't that where that occurs? Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it starts, it starts out good. And then it kind of takes a turn for the worse, but then it, it, it talks about, you know, it, it, it basically, basically the, the gist of the article that I wrote was, was, was about, you know, we have the opportunity to have a great spiritual reset. Cause you know, I was, I did a thing on like, you know, the world economic forum talks about how global state, right? yeah, the great reset. And, and yeah, of course, good luck with that guys. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. And so, you know, that the message was, you know, that the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob tells us to think differently, um, about the world around us and what we're dealing with. Um, and so it was just really kind of a neat piece to, to write, but then also getting to hear other people's take on Leviticus from all these different walks uh, of the, Mostly evangelical, but but just kind of on Lent, and and it was it was neat because she used Leviticus. Not not many people like when they think about Lent, think about Leviticus, or when they think about Easter, think about Leviticus. And so it was a really right. really cool deal. So, but tonight we're talking about the genre of epistles. So, yeah. um, kind of a kind also of, not something you typically think of on Easter. Yeah, well, I mean, but. There and again, I mean, they're they're writing and referring back to this Easter event the whole time. So yeah, the effects um, of it. it sure, it's, it's really really the whole Bible. I guess you could argue is pointing to this to this point in time. And of course, when the epistles are written, they're pointing back right. <laughs> um, to 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 this um, to this point in time where really everything changes in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's the message that that is being communicated. And of course, and when most people think about the epistles, I'm sure they think about Paul. 
Um, but there's other ones other than Paul. You want to kind of kind of talk about that? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So um, with regards to the epistles in the New Testament, um, so the New Testament for the uninitiated uh, contains uh, 21 letters um, and four gospels, one historical narrative and one apocalypse, which one could very much argue that um, although the the book of Revelation is considered uh, very unique and it is, it's an apocalypse, it's prophetic, and it is also an epistle yeah an epistle sent to seven different churches but yeah all of its other qualities are so largely different we don't count it in the epistles so but from your bibles you go through romans through jude those 21 books make up um more than half of the new testament they are uh, by length rather and they are addressing a variety of topics. They're written by a variety of individuals, and they're written to an even larger variety of people or people groups, sometimes individuals, sometimes churches, sometimes regions of churches, which, you know, you got like First Peter and Galatians, for instance, that are intentionally written uh, to entire swaths of, uh, of, of churches in a region. Um, so epistles are unique. Uh, with regards to biblical genres, but they are not unique to the ancient world. Uh, they are one of those things that not only existed in the ancient world, they kind of exist now, um, at least in recent history. They're the closest thing to a letter that we have, uh, like an official uh, correspondence. And they, they have a lot of their own structures to them. They have a lot of their own purposes. Um, sometimes to encourage but mainly it's to deal with an issue because anytime you're dealing with people you're going to be dealing with problems i always say that when people you know like oh don't you want to be a part of a bigger church i was like hey look bigger church means just more problems you know i mean you, you, mo you, money you know, mo problems mo people <laughs> mo problems not that having more problems is always bad sometimes it's good you gotta you gotta work through stuff but um but you know paul writes his epistles um, he was quite the fan of it. He, he wrote more than half of them. And he writes his epistles usually to a church, but then uh, at the, um, at the, uh, in the later parts of how they're laid out in our New Testament, we have his personal ones uh, that are written to people like Timothy and Titus and Philemon, which are all individuals, uh, pastors, um, you know, elders, uh, larger overseeing places like that, and Philemon, who's just basically a personal friend. Um, and so it, they're, they, they're all so very different that it, it almost, they need their own de uh, descriptions in between. So like you look at Romans, you look at Philemon, there is nothing about those two that, you know, attach them together other than it is a personal correspondence from Paul uh, to to s someone that's not Paul or some people that are not Paul, <laughs> so uh, that's yeah. about the only thing they hold in common. Yeah, and 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 so that uh, I think the reason that it's important that we discuss this is because you know I don't at least at least I wasn't um, in the church I grew up in. You know, wasn't really kind of taught this thing about context. Um, yeah. and and. and and so when it comes to Paul specifically, because he wrote so much of it, that, that uh, and, and of course, Peter even kind of mentions about how, uh, I don't know if it's first Peter, but I believe it's second Peter, you know, talking about how, how reading Paul can, can be confusing and, and how false teachers yep. take it um, and, and twist his words. Um, right. And, and that's why the idea of context is important because, you know, we, we've got to know and understand um, who it is that Paul's specifically writing to. Be right. Because when, when we understand this, we don't see um, conflicting theology. But his theology is very consistent throughout. However, a lot of the times he's addressing a specific issue in a specific church or in a specific area um, that's, that's different than another area. So a lot of it is more descriptive rather than, than prescriptive. And, and the same thing kind of happens, um, when we look at, um, Acts, Luke Acts, um, the, 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 and so trying to discern, uh, what it is that we take as descriptive versus prescriptive. Um, it, and it, it's really kind of hard to do a check the box, uh, rule of thumb on, on, 
on doing that. It all kind of really depends on you got to do some work in, into reading into reading the text to understand is this something that we should be taking as descriptive or prescriptive. Did, how is it that uh, I guess maybe from from your end, I know you being a pastor that you've had to deal with these types of questions that that people yeah. bring up. Um, and, and so at least my rule of thumb was is anytime people have a question about this is to, to let's let's get in the word and, and open it up and, and talk specifically sure. about, you know, what what, it, what is the question? Where is this coming from? What's the book? What What is it that's being said in context? Right. But how is it and, that you deal that with that from a pastoral end? Right. So when you're keeping in mind something that an epistle brings up, there is actually no genre um, in the Bible that it is more important to know the context in which it is written than epistles. Yeah. Um, you have to know who is talking. You have to know who is written to, um, and and without that comes a load of confusion. And and here honestly is one of the reasons why if you pick up um, a more uh, liberal, you know, uh, scholar and ask him when these things were written, they'll always be trying to move the context later because yeah. that helps their theology and their preconceptions. Uh, that's nonsense. Uh, we know when these things were written. There's there's a few of them that have questions, but in the preponderance of current evidence, there is no reason to impose naturalistic means on the development so so called of Christian theology, which is what a lot of people come to the epistles for. And so they're trying to move things like, you know, the high Christology. Uh, references of some of these epistles well those have to be later obviously the the apostles didn't believe all this stuff about jesus uh which i mean i uh, who cares what unbelieving people say about the scriptures to be perfectly frank um but one of the one of the one of the most important things with regards to an epistle is, is its context because of its very personal nature uh, because of its advice giving, because of its commands and directives that are binding. I mean, you you have Paul not asking the, the church in Thessaloniki if if they have if he has their uh, permission to command them to put them under a bind to read scripture publicly. He doesn't ask for that. He just puts them into it. That is a that is a personal relationship. That doesn't put us under a bind like that. That put them under a bind like that. But there should be something we pull out of that that certainly applies to us today. Um, and I would say it's very similar to the idea of uh, what they were carrying out. And so <clears throat> understanding context, enormously important in any literary genre. For, for letters, it is of prime importance. And so trying to understand um, that this letter, for instance, was written to the churches in Galatia. If you go into the book of Galatians, what were they dealing with? What was going on? What was the background? What was Paul's relationship to them? All of these things will come to bear. And so it makes sense that the message to the churches in Gaul is going to be a little bit different than Ephesus, than Thessalonica, then now some of them like Ephesus were written to intentionally be a circular letter correct right so he says would, that in the context of the letter yeah exactly he's he, he says to the to the um uh the the church in Laodicea that um and in uh in Colossae that all of these were close enough to each other and we're dealing with a lot of the same issues hey go read that letter you know, and and even the book of Ephesians, some of the older copies that we have of it, miss the the salutation to the Ephesians there because it was intended yeah. to be passed around to other churches as well. So just a just an interesting thing. I know we spoke about this uh, a, a little bit in in our cohort because I brought it up. Uh, so we know that there was a church, a, a letter written to the church of Laodicea. Mm -hmm. That that is not a letter that's in with the canon. Correct. Um, so, you know, my kind of kind of proposed question, I guess, because I'm weird and like to think about things. Let's just say that there's some kind of archaeological find or, you know, and we find this letter to Laodicea. Mm -hmm. Do we consider that within the canon or do we do we talk about it or I mean, of course it, not. it would just it would just be it's just neat, though, um, yep. because it would still have value. Um, 
it, but it, it's just kind of like an, an interesting thing. Um, so even though that Paul wrote it, I'm totally okay with the canon that we have. It's good. It's complete. Um, right. And if it was to come up, and, and it's kind of the same way that I feel about Enoch. Now, there was a lot of early church fathers that um, believed that Enoch maybe should be in the canon, but then you also even hear, uh, you know, read these comments from Tertullian about, you know, th- that it's not included with the canon and, and you know, they're, they're okay with it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. So now kind of back to the back, back to the epistles, back to the canon that we do have. We sure. did talk about what the gospels on, um, on dating, you know, we, you know, we believe I, I, probably Mark actually, was before we jump to that. Yeah. I, I want, I want to sit on that canon issue for a second. Yes. Yes. What, because what makes these epistles canon is not that Paul wrote them. Correct. Paul wrote at least one, if not two other letters to the church in Corinth. They are also not canon. Correct. What makes these things canon is not because they were written by the Apostle Paul. It is because they're inspired by God. Right? So if Paul writes a letter to uh, Laodicea, guess what? Which we know he did. Guess what? It wasn't scripture. Well, and you know, there's there's even these little statements that he makes within the canon that that even where you can kind of get this little tidbit of where like, Paul says, "This is me speaking, not God." You know, like he's even he's even even showing that this is you know well, he's given no, just the, some practical. I'll, I'll take issue with that because he's not taking practical. He's saying he he was specifically addressing in there. Um, where where he says, I, not the Lord, and then the Lord, not I, th- those were places where he was quoting Christ, saying the Lord actually addressed this here in his incarnation, and he quotes Jesus saying okay. that. And then he comes up and says, hey, the Lord never addressed this issue, but I'm going to. Both of them carry the same weight of Scripture. Okay, I, I haven't thought about it in that way. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things that, and I'll tell you, honestly, up until about maybe three years ago, I wasn't straightened out on that passage. Well, and um, so I'm not as straight on that either. But so as soon as I went to it, I was from? like, holy crap. Uh, that's exactly that what he's saying. Yeah. I just kind of want to go to that real quick, because I've just kind of always... Um, yeah, it's First Corinthians underst- chapter 7. ...understood that. Uh, so, principles for marriage... So he's like, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband right, this the, is something that Jesus actually addressed in his right. And so then he says in, in verse 12, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, something he should Jesus not never divorce her. Right. If any woman has a okay, okay. So I I see what you're saying on that. So right. So it it's just one of those things that you know it kind of gets passed around. But it, that would that would absolutely upend uh, the definition of of scriptural um, uh, authority. It, it comes not with a secondary authority to the words of Christ. It is just simply Paul saying Christ addressed this. So let's go ahead and quote him on that when he talks about marriage but then christ didn't address this issue of of what if you're married to an but unbeliever I'm to. and they want to stay married to you okay <laughs> you know paul's like jesus never talked about that but i'm gonna and both of them okay, are gonna you come changed, and be binding you changed on you. my mind good good, good job so hey, i mean so there there and again pass it along <laughs> yeah so i'll pass it along so there and again that that was kind of uh live for y'all listeners of, of theology untucked where tim changed my mind on something but but okay i i do see what you're saying there and i, yeah. I would agree um he, he's saying it's, it's it's kind of that stuff that happens right so i yeah. mean first corinthians i always say first corinthians is the single most misunderstood and misinterpreted epistle in the new testament i mean bar none i i i would sooner I would sooner trust somebody with a right interpretation of the book of Galatians, and that's hard enough. Uh, I mean, you just get in there and people go, oh, fruit of the Spirit. That's about how great and loving and joyful I am. And it's like, no, that's actually much more about what a church 
treats each other like. Yeah. Uh, that, that's spoken on the corporate level. But hey, you know, try to find someone who says that. But I mean, First Corinthians is one of the most misunderstood books, I, I would say even further in the Bible, um, because we do not get the context of what is being dealt with there. Um, it's so different than the other churches. And so it gets such different treatment. Uh, Paul, not only so, so part of the background of even understanding this, right? So why is it he's giving them such personal advice about you're married to an unbeliever how do you i mean so minutia why is he saying in chapter 14 that 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 women should shut up in church something that people just take out of context and go oh paul's a chauvinist and they throw up his hand oh wow this is just where he's being a jerk and it's like no he knows these people he knows them by name he spent 18 months in this church trying to straighten them out on stuff you know how long he spent in thessaloniki three weeks yeah, not as much time, and, and I do weeks. believe that that was probably the first letter he wrote. I know that you're kind of on that. Some people say Galatians, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was but, very, but they, they, very they short found, amount of time. And then he just comes back. How many issues is he dealing with in First Thessalonians? You guys love one another so much that you're worried that some of you are dying before Jesus comes back, and they're going to miss out. <laughs> so he's just writing to, he's not fixing massive issues on like serious issues like incest and craziness he's he's coming to them and he's polishing their theology up yeah and he's he's explaining to them some stuff about the resurrection but in corinth in corinth he has spent years in this place he has sent other people to corinth to try to straighten him out he has done so many things he's writing three maybe four magnificently huge letters the largest letters written for dealing with personal and and communal issues in a church in all of the bible yeah that's insane the amount of involvement that paul has with corinth and he's just sitting there talking about he's writing in tears and just i mean it's and and he's kind of moving on from like one thing after the another and and so you can tell he does have personal knowledge and personal relationships yes. with these people and so like chapter eight's one of those um confusing things because it's about this idea of, of food offered to idols um, right but, did a whole paper on that chapter yeah and and, and so it's that there's a lot of weird there's a lot of weird stuff i'm actually doing some some research on this on you know some some scholars are are, are bringing up that you know that that they're 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 possibly meddling in some some things that they shouldn't be and um, but anyway on the on the idea with food offered to idols it it is kind of confusing especially when we're reading it in the English language it, you know he's saying sure. concerning food offered to idols we know that all of us possess knowledge this knowledge puffs up but love builds up if anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know but if anyone loves God he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating food offered to idols. <laughs> That's the weirdest therefore, isn't it? <laughs> I know. But therefore, as the, as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there's one God, the Father, for whom all things or for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, what, what, can we can we just stop and, and recognize the weight of a former Pharisee repurposing <laughs> the Shema? Uh, I mean, and, and uh, including Christ into that. I, anyway, I every time I pass by, it's so First heavy. Corinthians every 8, 6 single is craziness word and sentence that that he goes through is just got so much gravity. I love it. So verse, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, becoming weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Yep. So it's kind of like you're going, well, are you, are you saying that food... Sacrifice idols okay or not okay? It, it's like you're Good missing. Like, you're really kind of missing the point, but because he's not, he, he's like there's nothing in it. But then he kind of goes on. Take care that this is right of yours. Does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak? For if anyone sees you have knowledge, oh, and I lost my spot. 
For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, your sin is against Christ. Therefore, so this is really kind of what sums up the whole idea. This is the big point. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Right. Like, it, it, it's, it's like there's no power. There's no power in this idol. That, well, there's one God, but then he's like, but we know that there's other God. He's talking about this spiritual, fallen, demonic world. But he's like, it's nothing. We worship one God. There, it doesn't help us wh- whether we eat or don't eat. The point being, who is your audience? Who are you around? Like, right. pay attention. What it's like just common having? sense. What what effect is this going to have? Right. Um, obviously, it's like you know, if I'm, let's say I'm not I'm not an alcoholic, and I, you know, I'll have a beer or something every now and then, or a glass mm-hmm. of wine. But like, look, you, you're around some brothers that you know that have struggled with alcoholism and stuff in the past. Hey, let's not open up a beer, or a glass let's of wine. Let's not open up that can of worms again, right? Like, what the hell is it worth? Like, why are you, why, why would you right. do that? And, I, and I'm making that maybe ultra simplistic, but it just, it, 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 it's know your audience. You know, right. I've got, a, I've got somebody that I work with, um, who is, uh, he's, uh, Indian. He's, he's Hindu. He's vegetarian. You know what I don't do around him? I just, I don't eat a big old slap ribeye with meat going around it. Just right. out of common respect. Just yeah. out of common respect, and that and that is just on the cultural level. That's not. That's even, just a cultural uh, level. They're not you know, spiritualizing it. I'm, right. I'm that's just... not even a Christian. I mean, so if you're if you're coming to a Christian, it's just like now you have a whole nother layer uh, on. Now, I mean, eating food sacrificed to idols was uh, came with a whole lot of cultural elements as well. It wasn't just food. Um, right. It was in certain circumstances, but um, you know, somebody who was given to certain things uh, would. Uh, there's a whole bag of cultural expectations. Well, and so you lot, also got to think they're buying pork. meat in these bizarre, you know, in markets and stuff. And so I can understand how early Christian, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're worried about is, is this meat that I bought and then that we're going to eat, was this sacrifice to idols and stuff? And just kind of, you know, probably like that. Eh, don't. Right. And so in another place, it just says, look, if you go into somebody's house, don't go in there asking, Hey, there's meat on this table. Where'd it come from? He says, just, just don't ask. You know, so, I mean, it, it's amazing how we go from, in, in the epistles, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of salvation to all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, right? This high theological descriptions of the gospel, the grace of God, and in, in the face of the law of God, right? All of this stuff going on. And then in the same literary genre, we have such difference that we come down to, okay, look, if you're going to someone's house and they're serving meat, don't sit there and be a jerk and ask what, I mean, it, it's, it's remarkable how, how, how small of an issue occurs in scripture mm-hmm. with regards to the life of the Christian. And, and here's the fun thing. There's an actual, there's not actually law about this. This isn't, this isn't binding on us. So like, you know, I see this thing in here where it says, you know, oh, if you're going to someone's house, don't ask if it was, you know, offered to an idol. What the heck does that have to do with me today? Yeah. Right? And and so there comes the expositor's responsibility. There comes the pastoral responsibility. Do your work. Ensure that you know what in the world to do. And don't step into something like 1 Corinthians, uh, which is so highly contextualized that he's talking about the, the, the headdress of men and women when they come together in the church, uh, only one of which we allow, uh, and the other one we don't. Men can't wear hats in church. That's why. Uh, but women, for some reason, for the same exact text, depending on where you are, don't wear head coverings. Why? If you want to maintain consistency and just bring Corinth into, you know, Binghamton or into Hattiesburg, uh, you should just bring it whole hog. Bring First Corinthians 11 right into your church, and men can't wear hats and uh, and women must cover their heads. It doesn't mean that for us. Yeah, it, it, it there's something wildly, totally different going on. And there's a right. lot of stuff with with head coverings that I've read that's that's really interesting. Um, sure. You know, first of all, the idea of uh, you know there's there's a lot of 
Okay. First of all, Corinth, where you know where it's at, there's these large pagan temples. They all, all of these pagan temples, all had temple prostitutes. A lot of these temple prostitutes are are coming to faith in Christ Jesus. What is it that one thing that temple prostitutes did? Well, they cut their hair. So that's that that there. That's where you kind of you see this little weird statement too about how so is not to tempt the angels. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's, you still see this old, te- you know, he's referring back to this idea of Genesis six and, and this is still in, in Paul's worldview. So that's what, that, that's why we talk about context. You know, we, we don't need to be reading the Bible through the lens of our tradition. Um, we don't, we don't want to be reading it through reformed theology, through Baptist, through method. Like we want to read this through the worldview of the way that they saw it. Through yeah, their you, context. you'll never get there, and that I think that's kind of one of those things that we we tell ourselves we we are pursuing, but we will never actually approach. I think it's I think it's more helpful for us to understand where we're coming from, and how stinking difficult different that is from where the first readers of this and where Paul actually is. I I can't get into Paul's mind, but we you can know? get we can do some work to get there. To, to in 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 some way to try to understand what they're maybe to is. appreciate it but not to actually have a change i i am going to bring my 21st century sitting here in binghamton worldview uh with my cars you can't help it you, my phones I, mean, I cannot get rid of this it will not go away but you my, don't my interpret scripture in light of cars and all of that stuff i mean you're, no. you're still trying to understand the context that's that's no, kind of it, what i'm saying correct so but we can't we can't take paul's worldview and then just read his words it, it takes so much more work than that um it, it there, there's there's correct. such a there's such a, a, a an organic effect on the way people think within their own cultures that there's no way to actually get there we we can seek to appreciate it as best as we can but all the time the only reason i say this is 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 there must always be humility with our interpretation yes. with regards to personal yes. letters like epistles yes. i agree right so when we come to something like um when we come to something like well anything in scripture to be honest our interpretation needs to be in humility but but we need to turn up the humility even more so when it comes to the epistles, because when you're, you're, reading you're saying like you're, to think w- that we know that we can read this through Paul's eyes, no, right? We can't. There are certain aspects. I've always joked about this, right? Yeah, everyone, everyone, it's in vogue now. If if you're not familiar listening to this podcast, it's in vogue now to uh, to poo poo the concept of of systematic theology it's it's you know all you know just systems and you know whatever um but i i have always joked that in systematic theology we're so sure of ourselves with things i said there needs to be an enormous glossary that we just list out the things that we really don't know (laughs) we really just need a section for that and there should be a really big section in in that part and and i think that's 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 where the humility comes in right because uh i love systematic theology you know and the thing is is that the systems were built upon the bridge of biblical theology to somewhat build um to build a system and and of course that's you know that with the reformed tradition that that's kind of what they're doing they're they're trying to get back to um you've got how long 14 15 1600 years of that that they're trying to they're not trying to gloss over it but they're they're trying to get to an understanding of what was it the original authors were intending to communicate that's what right. i appreciate about about the reformers that's right. why they were learning hebrew and greek and um it, it's not that they were ignoring the latin but they're trying to understand what was the in, uh, original intent of, of the authors so so here's the coolest thing about the effect of them trying to get back to the sources. What was the thing that every single one of them supported after they started learning Greek and Hebrew and running into the scriptures as they were originally written? All of them supported vulgar translations. Hmm. 
all of them supported that we need to get the word of God into the language that the people speak in their heart. Correct. Everyone. Luther does his translation to German, uh, the Genevan Bible, the, the translations to the English that carried out for the next hundred years until, you know, God apparently dropped the King James Version from heaven. Um, you know, so like all of this stuff is going on because the moment they start reading the scriptures in the in the Greek and the Hebrew and they bypass the Latin, they go, oh my goodness, people need this in their heart language. Yeah. That's the effect yeah. that epistles have. That's that personal element that's in scripture that is undeniable. And it's that, really kind of a reversal of the Bible event, too. It, Just well, the, a lot of it is. You're right. I mean, you, you, and so uh, here in Hattiesburg, where I'm at, we have a university, William Carey University, and that's kind of what he's known for out of you know, the 18th century. I think it's like 50, 60-something different dialects when, when he's on mission in, in India and China of yeah. – this saint, this idea of taking taking the Bible and putting it in there, and I love that what you said, heart language. Right, like doesn't that just make sense? <laughs> so, so for a long time it didn't. For the majority of Christian history, it wasn't. It wasn't seen as something important, and that's sad. Um, the, the, after the fall of the Roman Empire and the church filling in in the West, that that power vacuum, Latin got frozen and so did the church um with regards to scripture and and the mass and all these kind of things in the west really just i i would argue due to this just crept further and further and further away from what the scriptures actually said to the point that it wasn't until martin luther was working on the same uh the same degree you and i are both working on a doctor of theology that he actually read the new testament Hmm. That that's how far distant the scriptures were from not just the common man but even the learned man. The scriptures were well removed uh, because they were downplayed for so stinking long. And now we can sit here and look at this and we go like, oh man, uh, you know. And you know, can I come to the scriptures as translated faithfully and and understand them if I come into them without advanced degrees? Here's the fun answer: yes. Tim, how do you yes. think that happened to, for, I mean, so obviously the, um, the priority was taking off, taken off of the word of God and onto the authority and the tradition of the church. Yep. Like when, when is it that we see that in history where that changes? Because when we read the early church fathers, that is definitely not the case. Not at I all. Mean, no, that, that happens after the fall of Rome, which is in the early fifth century. Um, after the fall of Rome, the church was basically left holding the keys. They, you know, so when you have the bishop of the church in Rome actually signing peace treaties with invading armies to protect their citizenry, um, after so it's the more Rome, abuse of power and and you, you know it didn't I mean, start not, out not that way. all that I it mean, really it, didn't it really didn't start out as an abuse of power. It became that. I mean, there's nobody even Catholic would ever disagree that, that, yeah. that in the in the 900s and the 10s there was not an unbelievable uh, abuse of power and I'm just just absolutely disgusting things that were going on in the church um, but there's still some really good theology going on during of these course there was too. and so here here's the weird thing so if you were actually a Christian you were Catholic there weren't you didn't have a choice there weren't any other options so so when we're looking for Christians, well, yeah, I mean, everyone's, you know, if you go to Germany in, you know, what we think of as Germany, uh, you know, you go to the Holy Roman Empire, right? In the, uh, in the early, you know, 1400s or something like this, um, you go in there and you go like, you know, oh, are you, are you a Christian? They wouldn't even understand the question. Yeah. Right. The, yeah. The, what are you talking about? I, I'm, I'm, uh, I am Germanic. Of course, I'm Christian. We have a Christian emperor. We now, have, literacy know, I mean, is really bad during this time, too. So they don't really have... The, it, the common classes do not have the uh, uh, ability to... Other, other than to just listen to what the church is saying. Well, eventually, because, because the Roman church... I mean, we're getting a little off of epistles here. But, yeah. I mean, I think this kind of speaks to the reality of no, these I things. I think it does. Right, so I mean the 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 Western Church, um, as we refer to as the Roman Church, it wasn't the Roman Catholic Church as we know it yet. 
Um, but it was the church in Rome uh, was left kind of holding the bag of Roman society. And the capital had already moved to Constantinople uh, back uh, oh, almost 100 years before this. The fall right. of Rome wiped out whatever culture there was left, and the church was left holding the bag. Mm-hmm. And so the philosophical worldview, the, even, even when it comes down to the building of church structures, who is going to preserve this 500 years of magnificent Roman history if it's not us? And yeah. so that power vacuum got filled up by the strongest, most unifying figure in the West. That was the bishop, the pastor of the church in Rome. And the papacy morphed and grew and grew horns and and it got it got nuts over the next 500 years and but it did not start out that way it started out and i i think i think a lot of protestants are not very generous um with with the church in rome in the fifth century there was there was a lot of things they had to deal with that they tried to figure out how to handle that it was so new and and they were trying to figure out what to do and all of a sudden the world crumbles around them and they're they're left holding the pieces with with people starving in in the streets what do you do well we do as much as we can we do that well we'll put together a societal structure there isn't one so do the best you can with what you got right and and what started out in a lot of ways with good intention um really lost its way uh later well, on I, I do think that this kind of re- relates to the epistles too because you you see during the reformation and, and let's just say with luther and they go back and they're they're reading the new testament mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of trying to do the the same thing that Paul was doing and, and polish right. people's theologies, except they're not trying to polish it with their own words. They're trying to use the epistles and the words that Paul and James and Peter were writing um, back, you know, 1,500 years before them um, yeah. to do this thing, to un- polish their theology. Well, um, and they certainly were trying to distill what Scripture said rather than what tradition was teaching. Right, and so you'll get things like the the institutes of the Christian religion, right? Pretty much, the first yeah. of systematic theologies of of the of Reformed world, and that that's written by Calvin himself in several editions. You'll get the catechisms written by Luther, the longer and the shorter catechisms, um, that were trying to distill what Scripture teaches to a a discernible or a swallowable or a digestible um, way. Because even though... To where the common people could take it, remember it, it, it's, you know... Right, right. And and so, I mean, they're products of their culture just the same as we. Um, and so there was, you know, and there were several of the Protestant confessions and the catechisms that came out over the next 100, 200 years. And, and that kind of stuff kept on dealing with where is it that we pull our authority from? Where is it that all these things come from? And they keep going back to the scriptures. And, and a lot of that comes from the influence of the apostles and how they write epistles. Right. I mean, how many places do you see that Paul is quoting scripture? I mean, it's all over the place. Just like when Jesus is talking to people, what is he doing? He's quoting scripture. That's what my dissertation's in, because there's so much material there in the way they treat the Old Testament that I mean, that we I I own a book. It's like this thick of of how the New Testament uses the Old Testament. Right. Yeah. They quote it explicitly. They allude to it all the time. Oh, yeah. I don't. I, I bet you could make the argument that there's there's not one thing in there that they're that they're saying in, in context that it's you could not go back into the Old Testament to where the same thing ideologically is being communicated at least thematically um, correct th- th- thematic like right I'm I'm not talking uh, every dot and iota of every word but but, but each kind of idea there, you're not going to find anything within the New Testament. That is going to compete with the theology of the Old Testament. So, you know, kind of what Tim and I do with this idea of, of biblical theology, um, you know, a lot of people read, you know, say Old Testament theology, New Testament theology. There's people that concentrate in into the theology specifically of the Old or the Hebrew Bible and, and the New. Mm-hmm. But both of both both experts in, in both of those are going to see how they overarchingly communicate the same idea, the same message, uh, and, and this is what Jesus is doing when he when he comes on the scene because the theology of the Pharisees and the Sadducees had changed. They yeah. they 
they had added to the law. They took things out of context. They used it as a man-made system of means to manipulate and control people. Um, and so that's what we don't. That's what we don't want to do. That's why we want to have carefulness. Um, it's, like you said, especially with the epistles, but right. uh, because that's when it comes to what I guess what would, what I would say is Bible abuse. You probably see it happen more often out of the epistles than anywhere else. That's where it's easiest to be a lazy preacher. Yeah. Let, uh, let me address this one directly because yeah. that's kind of in my wheelhouse. Um, if you don't want to prepare a sermon, <laughs> I mean, all you got to do is sit down in there where the apostle is speaking direct. It's straight away. And so when you, when you for instance, when you hear, I mean, how many... Uh, even when you come to a, a, a place where you would actually hear a scriptural sermon, uh, I don't, you know, and not, not just a topical thing, how many of them are centered in the epistles? As a percentage of the scriptures is less than 10%, but then the vast majority of sermons come out of them. Why? Well, they're, they're didactic. That's a good, they're, that's they're a direct, really good point. They're, 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 they're dealing with things practically it thinks the way we think it kind of talks the way we talk and so there's there's a lot less work that has to be done right and it's easy to twist those words to use them for your own agenda i guess because all you have to do is ignore the context Mm -hmm. and if you ignore the context of an epistle like first corinthians you can make that bad boy mean whatever the heck you want it to mean you can come through and go oh well and and I, I could hand you sermons that would argue with a straight face for a multiplicity of interpretations, all completely legitimate, supposedly, of of First Corinthians eleven or First Corinthians twelve and the nature of spiritual gifts and the speaking of tongues or or of First Corinthians fourteen and and the the orders of service and things like this and or or the latter part of First Corinthians eleven and the dealing with communion. You know, and and what it means to be take communion in a in an unworthy manner, right? So, like, because we don't, we can just bypass context if we're going to be lazy in our sermoning. We can just make this stuff mean what we want. What does it mean to eat in an unworthy manner? Well, I don't know. How about we delve into Corinth a little bit and talk about worthiness? Uh, how about we delve into the well? How does Paul address this elsewhere? What is it he yeah, says? Corinth, you talking about Corinthians eleven, like, okay. right? So, so you know, if if we want to be unscrupulous or we just want to be lazy, we can just not do our homework and never go through a book in its entirety, all in its own context, speaking about itself. We can just drop in, sight unseen, to First Corinthians chapter three, for instance. And make this passage all about rewards for good behaved Christians. When that mm. is not what Paul is talking about Prosperity. at all. Correct. And so what you, that, that whole passage, right? Wood, hay, and stubble, you know, gold, silver, precious stones, and things like this. Everyone keeps making it about how good works we have lead to all these rewards in heaven. That is not what 1 Corinthians 3 is about. At all. But I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard on First Corinthians three that are all about what kind of rewards we get in heaven. What, because what rewards do we get in heaven? That, like, is that, I've heard that a lot, and I've never heard them like <laughs> explain that in any further detail. Right, and and so it, and it doesn't matter. You're right. I mean, so I'm I'm just I'm thumbing through First Corinthians here in front of me. Right, First Corinthians two, verse nine. What no eye has seen or ear heard enters the heart of God's, you know, or the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. How many people turn that to a verse about heaven? Oh. Hmm. That's not about heaven. Mm-mm. It's not. <laughs> None of this is about what people make it mean because all we have to do is just take all of our tradition. What do we want to say? And he's quoting uh, from Isaiah there. Right. And, and so that's another interesting thing. Like he's quoting Correct. verbatim. Isaiah sixty four four, yeah. <laughs> it's it's so difficult to do this kind of preaching right because yeah. it takes an enormous amount of work, but to see it done poorly, 
is a very simple amount of work. And and it's one of the reasons why, for instance, if I'm going to preach on 1 Corinthians, I will never, you will never see me. I uh, in, in the 10 years I have been preaching, I, I have never dropped directly into an epistle. Can, can and, and you, just that's not, I don't think you can possibly, well, I'm, I'm not a preacher, but it, I'm just thinking if, if I'm asked to speak on some kind of a thing, mm-hmm. I can't imagine using any of these things without somehow tying it back in to somewhere in the Old Testament. I, I, just, I just tie it into I, its I own letter, at least. Anything. Well, well, especially when, especially when they're explicitly quoting from the Old Testament. Well, that too. Um, right. I, I just don't. I, and so you see that type of type of abuse all the time. And and don't think I'm like really smart. I'm sitting here on on my Bible software, and so like when you read that passage, I'm just going over in the footnote that like that's from Isaiah sixty four four. It's not like I just hey instantly remembered that. But that that's something that I've heard spoke there in First Corinthians. They'll quote this. They'll quote this verse and never even bring up Isaiah. N- never even. They'll never, never even read even, the next verse. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. <laughs> For the Spirit searches everything, even, even the, depths the depths of, of God. God. For who knows? For who a person's knows thoughts. a person's thoughts? Right. Yeah. It's mm. crazy. It is crazy. The, the way that we we deal with these things is so careless typically when we come to an epistle so you will you can have my word on this because i simply would never do it it's not even in my worldview to do i would never drop into a a an epistle without giving that entire epistles context if i have not been preaching on that going through i spent two and a half years walking through the book of romans do you know what i did for the first five minutes of every sermon Pray? Uh, nope. <laughs> no, that was the five minutes beforehand. I would start with the argument of Romans one, and I'd bring us up to speed. Ah, uh, because it's he's building. He's Correct. building the whole it's time. It's one argument, and, and if like you lose the argument, you lose the whole thing. And every four chapters, every four chapters, I stopped and I spent an entire Sunday. My sermon was reading all sixteen chapters unbroken. Hmm. Every like four chapters, that. because you that'll need preach. That Romans context. will preach. No kidding, <laughs> uh, and it's it is it's just one of those things that just it hardly ever gets done. And these things were meant to be read. They were meant to be heard. They were meant to be dealt with. They were meant to be experienced. They were meant to be feared, and they were meant to be loved. And and when we when we just have little nuggets that we want to pull out of them, epistles so easily lend themselves to that because they assume that you have the 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 fortitude to treat it as a single letter these things were not originally chapter and verse divided these were letters written delivered and read aloud that's what they were supposed to be done in their entirety and they were personal and they were they were at times corrective at times they were uh, commendatory uh, you, you see, you see, Paul's talking to Timothy. Oh, what, what, a, what a wonderful thing to have this, this, you know, encouragement along for this younger encouragement brother. Encouragement and teaching, yeah. Right, right. Don't, don't preach in such a way that you, you save your hearers but lose yourself. Uh, what, mm. what incredible wisdom is in that, right? Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's stuff that it, it lends itself. And something to- we see happen a lot today too. Just that, yeah. that instruction there we we see we see that That, and that's why i love i love pastors so much um and have such high respect for them because they're so vulnerable that it's such a it's such a vulnerable position to be in um you're under so much so much attack spiritually in your own head and just being a human person right. um, and, and ministering to people, dealing with your own sin and your own struggles and then trying to pastor people and love them well. And, and so I, I, it just makes me imagine what it, what, it, what it would have been like to be Timothy, to, to receive this 
What an um, encouragement it would have been. What you know? what an encouragement. And and imagine being imagine being in one of those churches in Ephesus and getting that letter from Paul that's read aloud. Right. Um that that's the things I like to think about and imagine of of, of just being the regular dude sitting there in in that world, even though we can't get to that worldview totally, but just receive. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine get, getting getting these words? Um, I'm gonna go ahead and close this out in prayer, and um, you know, I I I I, I just want to, to for our listeners out there who, um. You know who don't have a church, um, or maybe you do. Say something encouraging to your pastor. That do that for us. Just, just walk. You ain't got to. You ain't got to make you. a big deal out. Just tell them. Yeah. Thank you for what you do. Um, you, you don't know what that. The gravity of just those simple things and those words will mean. To, to these men they have such such a great weight on them and and so i i you know i want you know within my within the people that i disciple and just the regular arch dudes like me i want y'all to be stinking warriors for these pastors i, I want i want you to be the safe place that that pastor can look at and see that face out in the crowd and know that that brother has my back and he loves me. They need that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you, Tim? <laughs> everyone does. Don't you? And, um, and, and, and every, everyone does. Well, I'm saying everyone um, does, but most people are very afraid to do that for a yeah. pastor. Um, yeah. I, I can say, though, the, the most helpful people are, are, are those who didn't, well, in no uncertain terms, lie to me constantly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm a pastor, but I'm not an idiot. You know, I I get lied to more than probably anybody else, except maybe someone's doctor. You know, oh no, doc, I don't smoke or drink or any of this kind of stuff. You know, and you know, uh, you know, I it, it it is it is a very lonely place, and so let me add it my is. encouragement to to people to just. If you've got a pastor worth his salt and is is doing good work, man, that's worth more to you than you'll ever know. And uh, if you got a lot of money, give them a check too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, go ahead and do that because they don't make a lot. Um, I think pastors should make as much money as any of the rest of us. <laughs> um, but um, I, I most importantly believe that they need to be encouraged and loved and. It's just not that hard. Um, that I'm, I understand why pastors are leery on 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 being close and, and having friends. I you know I do see that a lot, um, and and that hurts. That that hurts not not me, but I mean I hurt for them because I know I know I know what it's that that loneliness is like. Um, and man. That there's there's nothing more encouraging to know that you have another brother there that loves you no matter what, yeah. and you got his back. Um, so let, let let's pray, Lord. Yeah. We um we thank you for we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for these men that you inspired to write these to write these letters to these churches to suffer what they suffered, um, to go through what they went through to preach your gospel um, so that we can exist and enjoy and sit at the feet of these very men that, that you loved as well. Lord, we, we lift up these, these pastors that are, that are out there that are lonely, that, that are hurting for, for their own families, for, for their own well-being, for, and, and most of all, that, that, we know that the gravity and, and the hurt that they have for the people that they're trying to pastor and love well, Lord, we encourage them. We, we, we encourage those listeners that are out there that know this about their pastors that, that say something 
to them. The Lord, you give them, you give them the words to encourage these these men in these places, um, and and love them well. Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Teach us to love you better. In your holy name, we pray, Jesus. Amen. listening to Theology Untucked. Join us each week as we engage in all things theological, biblical, and cultural. These are the types of conversations we should be having in the church today, and we aim to play our part. Also, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like us to address, or a prayer request, please send them to us. You can reach me at caleb at theologyuntucked.com. Or you can reach me at tim at theologyuntucked.com. Do note that your prayer requests remain strictly confidential. We will not be sharing them on the show. For more information or to support the show, please visit theologyuntucked.com. Lord's blessings to you all.